Welcome to MediaPath. I'm Fritz Cohn. And I'm Louise Palenker. MediaPath is your portal to pleasures. Reading, viewing, listening, pleasures. Louise and I peruse the entertainment landscape and make little discoveries that we enjoy recommending to you. But the best part of this podcast is our fascinating guests. On a really good day, like today, we have someone who is part of a cultural phenomenon on our televisions called the Waltons, where she played Mary Ellen Walton. Her life has been rich and full since the Waltons, and we'll learn all about it in just a few minutes. She's Judy Norton. Can't wait to talk about it. But first, Weezy, what do you have for us? Well, first, you know how Cher and I are best friends and we do everything together? <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> so if you're not following Cher on Twitter, she is a ride. Cher is big on emojis, not so big on hitting the space bar. She frankly doesn't have the time. She's expressive, and she will occasionally tweet back to you. So here we have an exchange where Cher wrote, have you ever had a time when one huge problem follows another? When you're actually responsible for many lives at the same time when someone disappoints you, someone betrays you, another rocks your world and not in a good way, then it finally all hits you. Explosion, kaboom. This has turned out to be a rough day, sad crying face. And I responded, I wish I were emoji fluent enough to send you something soothing and healing. Let me see, maybe, yeah, dolphins and soup. And then Cher <laughs> wrote back to me, at Louise Palenker, here's a few more. And then she just spilled out emoji confetti at me. And I feel like Cher and I are really have reached in the next level of our relationship. I bet, but you've been interacting with her for a while, right? Well, one time I said something teasing to her about, uh, like, perhaps, the, you know, the malfunctioning of her space bar. And she wrote back, I'm 78, you know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever her age is. Cher is ageless, timeless. But, uh, you know, Fritz, we promise that if you, our home viewer, review our show at Apple Podcasts, that there is every possibility that we may read a review right here on the show. And you have stepped up to the challenge, and we thank you. Now, Fritz is going to read excerpts let's do it from now this is from thank evan don't miss media path this podcast from local legend fritz coleman <laughs> i added that but and uh, the delightful louise palanker is so fascinating and fun we got hooked when they did a deep dive with bill schnee the music engineer behind such names as chicago uh, barbara streisand whitney houston and many more but it's not just music but many ideas that fascinate from the two Tune in. And the second one is from KTA. It's Kathy Kulak. She's my college roommate. Go for it. Uh, oh, okay. Media Path, informative, witty, and entertaining. Louise and Fritz amazed with their knowledge of books, movies, music, history, current events, entertainment in general. They are not only knowledgeable, but entertaining in their rapport with each other and their humor. Their enthusiasm is contagious, and I'm always learning something new. I feel like this is like a Tinder bio. I enjoy finding out what these actors, entertainers are doing now who have performed many years ago. I really enjoy the podcast with Anson Williams. Amazing to find out that his second cousin was Henry Heimlich and how he ended up on Merv Griffin. Interesting side stories like these keep the podcast entertaining and uh, most enjoyable. Thank you for reviewing our show. We appreciate you. So Fritz, what have you been watching? Oh, am I going to go first because you have one and I have I two? I think okay. so. All right. So 
I read a book called The Forest of Vanishing Stars by Kristen Harmel. Yona was stolen from her crib at the age of two by a mysterious old woman who lives in the woods and raises the child in the heart of the forest, teaching her its bounty, its dangers, and its secrets, and fully preparing her to one day sustain and guide a group of brave Jews through the terrors of World War II. They, in turn, teach her what it means to belong to a community. Inspired by the incredible true stories of Jews who really did survive the war in the woods of Poland and Belarus, The Forest of Vanishing Stars is a heart wrenching and suspenseful novel from the number one internationally best-selling author Kristen Harmel and at the end of the book Fritz in the author's notes she talks about a Facebook group called Friends and Fiction which she leads with four other best-selling authors Mary Kay Andrews, Mary Alice Monroe, Patty Callahan Henry you need at least three names to be a best-selling author, Fritz. Christy Woodson Harvey and Kristen Harmel. The group description reads, we discuss books, writing, and invite fabulous authors to join us, all while highlighting one independent bookstore each week. We invite you to post your questions for us or for our guests on our F&F page, and we will do our best to answer them. So join in the fun welcome. So if you are frequently on the hunt for your next great read, this is a wonderful group with loads of suggestions and conversations. Very cool. Yep. Well, I'm doing a movie everybody's been waiting for, The Many Saints of Newark. And it's the prequel to the Sopranos series on HBO. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, you know, the Sopranos backstory. It takes place in one of the most tumultuous periods in the history of Newark, New Jersey. It's about a young Anthony Soprano becoming a man, just as rival gangs start to rise up and challenge the all-powerful DeMeo crime family. This is early 60s. Parts of Newark burned as a result of racial violence. So it's race politics all mixed in with mob politics. Young Anthony idolizes his Uncle Dicky Moltisanti. His relationship with Uncle Dicky is what shapes him into the powerful mob boss we've come to know as Tony Soprano. Now, the most fun of this movie to me was Ray Liotta, for my money, one of our greatest actors, and he gets to play a pair of twins with lots of screen time in this. But this is the revelation. The young Anthony Soprano is played by Michael Gandolfini, who is the son of the late James Gandolfini, who was Tony Soprano in the series. And honestly, he pulls it off. The question that remains unanswered is, will there be a sequel or two to this movie, or will the movie set the stage for another HBO series? And as they say, nobody's talking right now. Maybe they just go further and further back in time until we're in Italy. And it's like... They could. Forget this Like place. the Godfather. Let's go to America. Go to Sicily. And break some limbs. It was huh? pretty good. I mean, it's violent, but it's it's interesting, and I, I I just love Ray Liotta so much. Yeah, he is great. I have one more pick before we get to Let's Judy. Let's do it. This is called Acapulco on Apple Plus. You know, I'm a big fan of the Apple Plus streaming service. They have really good program, and they have programming that's low on torture, low on mayhem, and I'm a fan of that kind of stuff. So. Unlike The Sopranos, no offense. In 1984, young and ambitious Maximo Gallardo lands the job of his dreams as a cabana boy at the glamorously posh Las Colinas Resort in Acapulco, Mexico. He quickly learns that the position requires him to wrestle relentlessly with moral dilemmas and ethical quandaries, which will mold his character and impact the arc of his life. The 10-episode story unfolds as the fully mature and hugely successful Maximo conveys its twists turns and lessons to his 14-year-old nephew. The show is warm, fun, and funny, and Fritz, it's bilingual, so you can practice your Spanish by trying not to read the subtitles. It's called Acapulco, and you will find it on Apple+. Plus. My writing partners and I wrote a sitcom 
that had to be bilingual. Okay. And it failed miserably because it had to be American and Spanish. Because you guys didn't speak any Spanish? Thank you. All right. Okay, here now is a lady uh, that you know for her role as Mary Ellen Walton on The Waltons from 1972 to 1981. Nine seasons, 221 episodes. The Waltons was an American historical drama about a family in rural Virginia during the Depression and World War II. And then after that, Judy went on to become a very successful director and writer and producer and singer. She has her own YouTube channel where she often answers questions about life in the Walton family. She's got a web series right now called The Quarantine Bunch. She's also apparently an adrenaline junkie. Ah. She's into horse jumping, into skydiving, into skiing, and the much more sane tennis. We're (laughs) so happy to welcome Judy Norton. Hello, Judy. Hello. Wow. So nice to uh, have you here. But it's I'm tired bilingual just tennis. To that bio. Well, there you go. <laughs> Try to live up to some of the things I mentioned in the bio. <laughs> now, Judy, the Waltons was based on the book Spencer's Mountain by Earl Hamner, who grew up in Schuyler, Virginia, at the start of the Depression. And a lot of these Walton tales were based on Earl's actual life or reasonable facsimiles, right? That is correct. You know, I don't know exactly which stories or how much uh, was based on real things, but occasionally he'd mention different people or or circumstances that he based things on. Um, and from Spencer's Mountain, which was turned into a movie with Maureen O'Hara and um, James MacArthur, uh, James MacArthur and um, Henry Fonda. Ah. And then later he uh, wrote the book, The Homecoming, which became the Christmas TV special, The Homecoming, which ended up uh, sort of launching then the series. And you got to meet Earl Hamner, correct? Oh, yeah. He was around all the time. He was uh, a creative consultant. He was a producer. He did all the narration. So he was he was there regularly. He oversaw a lot of what went on and really kind of was the quality checkpoint on the show. And I, I guess it was kind of like the Harper Lee scenario, whereas people knew that he was from Schuyler. And so it became like a tourist destination to go down there and see the house that was referenced in the Waltons. And they would meet people in the family. And they were very sort of forthcoming with their um, welcoming nature down there. And people people would make pilgrimages down there to meet the family. Yeah, he talked about how his mother, if someone would come and knock on the door, she'd, you know, sit and have tea with them, iced tea, whatever, um, and would would be very gracious and answer questions. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where the rest of the members of Earl's brothers and sisters, where they were exactly located and how many of them were still in the Schuyler area. Uh, We, as a cast, were invited there in the early 1990s uh, when they turned what had been a community center. It had originally been the schoolhouse. It was literally across the street from where Earl's the Hamner house was and where they went to school. Later on, it became a community center. And then as economic hardship hit the area, someone local got the idea to turn that community center into a Walton museum. (laughs) And we were all invited down for the opening of that. And that's really what put it on on the map then because thousands of people showed up for that. And then they would have yearly reunions there. And then it sort of expanded from there. There is now a replica of the Walton house that is John and Olivia's bed and breakfast, which sits right across the street from that museum. And people can literally stay in bedrooms that are recreations from the house. And the downstairs is eerily 
like being on the set. Wow. It's great. It's just, it was like, so deja vu. Um, a number of members of the cast went and stayed there in the rooms for the opening weekend. And we sat in that kitchen and that living room and went, wow, this is like flashback time. That is wonderful. Now, when you were with Earl Hamner, would you, I know you were a kid for most of it. You went from like age 13 to age 23 on the show, correct? Yes. Did you ask him questions about the character that you were based on? The a sister? little bit, yeah. but uh, unfortunately, when we're young, we're not always smart enough to take advantage of the resources we have around mm -hmm. us. Isn't that there true? There were so many amazing people I worked with that now I go, what was I thinking? I, know. I wasn't. You were busy growing up. I had up. these yeah. amazing people that had these incredible histories that I just didn't sit and pump them for fabulous stories. But uh, you, just, you, do, you don't I know what you don't meet. know. Yes. I, I did get to meet uh, Marion Hamner Hawks, who oh. Mary Ellen was based upon a, a, a couple of times. She was so gracious, so lovely. And I, I really adored her. Uh, so uh, a, a little bit of interaction there, but not as much as I would have liked because she lived in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Describe Mary Ellen's character. Oh, she was a tomboy. She was a rebel. She was a nonconformist. She was really very early women's movement, <laughs> but she didn't know it. Uh, she just was determined that she didn't want a tradition, what she saw as a traditional path for a woman. She didn't, she thought it would be just uneventful to grow up and get married and have children and take care of a house. She wanted to be an actress or a tightrope walker or something more, far more worldly than what she saw as her environment growing up in rural Virginia during the depression. Uh, so she was such fun to play, you know, because of all of that. How much were the characters based on you guys your personalities as actors, did it evolve in that direction? Or were you all cast because you were like his siblings that you were portraying? Um, I think there was a combination. Originally, they were because in the homecoming, there was a whole thing about how there were all these redheads. And there were a few of us who weren't natural redheads that were hired. And fortunately, I, I was one of them. I remember going into this, this was for the homecoming. And I remember going into that audition and wearing shorts and, you know, like cut off shorts, hair and pigtails, barefoot t-shirt, and just with lots of attitude, you know, <laughs> and evidently Earl said, when I came in, they were, he was just like, that's, that's Mary Ellen. Aww. So thank goodness. Uh, most, a number of the other actors, young actors were natural redheads and they did dye my hair for the homecoming mm -hmm. in sort of an auburn red um a number of them are natural redheads so that was that was a story point and i believe that it was it was kind of a mix like i was totally as you read from my bio into sports and adrenaline things and so kind of the tomboy aspect came naturally to me uh, I was a I was a wannabe rebel. I just didn't always have the courage to be as much of a rebel as Mary <laughs> Ellen. So I loved playing the character because I could be all this this rebellious character without the consequences I felt I would have suffered in real life had I been that rebellious. Uh, so I think a lot of the characters evolved from the natural characteristics we brought to the original audition. And then I think the characters grew based on a lot of what we brought to them. 
you know, John Wamsley, who played Jason, did really play the harmonica and the guitar and the piano and all kinds of other things. So that became a real story point for his character. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, they sort of did different aspects of that, that they, I think, began to write for what we were creating with the character, as often happens with a long running show. I think you have to look at where these shows show up in American and TV history to understand their impact. For instance, the Waltons and Little House on the Prairie came after we had just been through the 60s. There was a lot of political and family discord because of Vietnam and everything else and family discord because of the changing attitudes in the 60s. And these shows were like a touchstone. They would remind people what was important in life. It was like a safe haven for people who wanted to protect the structure of their family. Do you do you, do you agree with that? I mean, it just seems like the shows that have a lot of impact sort of plug themselves into the history, the zeitgeist of the time. I, I mean, I would certainly hope so. I know that at the time the show was being considered as a series because it was not originally meant to be a series. It was just meant to be a Christmas TV special. Then my, what I had heard was that it was, it was a time when the networks were getting a lot of pressure from the moral majority and that the network basically agreed to put the Waltons on with the feeling that, Oh, it's a nice little family show. We're getting all this, heat about doing family programming it'll last for you know five or six episodes and that'll be the end of it and it was kind of like a throwaway they thought yeah we'll show them that nobody really wants to watch this that was a story i heard and of course it couldn't have been more false that the country completely embraced the waltons it was not necessarily so big a hit in some place like new york city like big urban cities but, you know, middle America and smaller, really family, um, family communities just embraced it. And the producers went to smaller towns and newspapers and took out ads and did interviews and articles and stuff, you know, saying, please save this beautiful show and don't let it don't let it disappear. And that we went from our ratings in that first year, we were very low in the ratings. And over the course of this campaign of this whole first season, we rose to the top and ended up in, you know, like the top five. And we were number one for years. So we really, the show found its audience, which shows don't have a chance to do anymore. And I'm so grateful Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. that, that structure that existed at that time with only three networks that our season pickup was 26 episodes. Mm, yeah. Not like, let's do three and see what happens. Right, mm-hmm. right, right. So oh. we had time to find our audience and find our characters and that rhythm and everything that became the heart of the show. Right, right, right. Uh, but we had no idea the impact we were having at the time we were doing it. You know, that's, we were now in the 70s, so I was trying to be cool, you know? No, and I mean, that's <laughs> that's another thing that you don't really know when you're a kid and your 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 main focus is just creating yourself. So how yeah. has your Walton childhood impacted your grown life? I mean, for us, taking in the show's messages and lessons was meaningful for us, for we viewers. But how did it impact the actors? Were you able to take that in as well, what the show was teaching us? Uh, to a, a great degree, yes, because they were such beautifully written scripts that they raised questions about people and cultures and religion and, and points of view that the Waltons really represented a very um, open and 
compassionate. They were, they would embrace people and strangers and, and ask questions and, and they were, you know, they weren't biased or prejudiced. And so all of that were wonderful lessons to be surrounded by. Uh, but then I think even more than these stories at the time was the, the working environment was working with the rest of this cast who we are like a family. So those relationships and the working environment and everything that went on those things, you know, hugely impacted my life as well, you know, for someone who wanted to pursue a career in this business to have that opportunity and to be doing that for nine months out of the year and all of what that meant. And then learning how that meant my interaction with people that saw the show went. So those things really build who you are as a person. And it still, it still does because, you know, the show has as much an impact now, it seems, as it did at the time. I mean, that's what I'm discovering with this YouTube channel of mine is I started it just for fun because I thought, oh, well, maybe I can share some things with the fans during COVID and, and you know, let them, let them know how much we all appreciate how much they love the show. And I hear all these stories of what the show meant to them. And, and so these relationships form. We have loyal fans that have been watching the show for 50 years and they come to these reunions and they think of us as family. Mm -hmm. So all of that, I mean, you can't not have an experience from all of that. Mm -hmm. What was your daily workaday like, uh, workaday life like for somebody your age, uh, um, young uh, tween and early teen? I mean, there's a lot of work in 26 episodes a year. And what was it like? Did you do onset schooling and that type of thing? We did during what would normally be the school year. So we were required uh, by state law to uh, work, have a a welfare worker teacher on the set. And whenever school would have normally been in session, then we were required to do three hours of schooling a day at the studio. And we had teachers there. It was just for our cast or if we had a guest star who was young enough that they were there for an episode and needed to attend school. During the summer when you wouldn't be in school, we didn't have to do schoolwork. They were not allowed to give us homework. Uh, And if there was a day when you had a really heavy work schedule, you might not get your three hours Uh, or you might get them in 20 minute increments between setups between, okay, we've shot that now we're going to relight and stuff and go away and you'd get 20, 30 minutes of, of, Schoolwork. What a on horrible days. way to learn algebra. Oh my God. In <laughs> 20 minutes. You'd be in the middle of something. It's like, and then you get called away. And <laughs> yeah. we couldn't count it if it wasn't at least 20 minutes. So you might go in for 10 minutes and then they go, oh, we need you. So you couldn't count it, but you didn't get anything done. So it was piecemeal, but then you'd have days where you weren't really in scenes that day. So you'd do your three hours unbroken and you'd put in extra time for those days when you couldn't get the three hours. But the teachers were wonderful. I thought it was a tremendous education because it was one-on-one. I was the only one in my grade. Mm -hmm. I was the only one doing those classes. So the things I needed one-on-one help with, I got. And that was not the case in public school prior to that. You know, sometimes you can kind of get lost and you don't always get the one-on-one help that you need. So I was very impressed by the whole system and the way it protected all of us and our education. And it's impossible to measure what you were learning on the on that set with all those adult professionals that I wasn't learning in a classroom of other people my age, only talking yeah. to people who knew what I knew. Absolutely, you know you're 
you are surrounded by people and people in the entertainment industry can be some of the most fascinating people. They have the most varied backgrounds. And, you know, the, I mean, Will Gear had a, you know, had a degree in botany and, you know, he could, he could sit there and tell you the Latin names of all the plants on the, on, and he planted that garden that was supposed to be the Walton garden in the, outside the house. Will Gear planted that for real on the back lot of the studio. And, so he would, he was in education. He, you know, would quote Shakespeare and Woody Guthrie and Mark Twain. And, <laughs> and then when, when mm. I either thought to ask or someone told me anyway, the stories I, I learned from people that had been in the industry for years and years and just you're, I mean, I, I knew the forties history from living it. I knew a lot of the historical events from doing episodes about them. Right. So those things just, you know, don't really happen in day-to-day life. So I never felt like I was missing out by being a working working during, I thought I was getting the best gift of all Mm -hmm. to be able to be pursuing what I loved instead of just sitting in school, reading textbooks all day. Do you still have a relationship with any of your cast members? Oh, totally. All of them. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we, we talk regularly. Uh, We are, because next year is the 50th anniversary of the Waltons. um, We have been talking about different sorts of things that might enable us to celebrate the 50th with fans and stuff. And actually one of the things that that's going to be done next year is going to be happening up in Canada through um, Trafalgar tours and Wendy Dunham travels and that we're going to do a, a, a travel with the Waltons, sort of, you know, from Toronto into Niagara on the Lake and, up, you know, and, and do some, some events that the, the members of the cast will attend. So some of these things are being organized and planned and you know, next year is going to, involve some of those let's celebrate the 50th of the waltons which is impossible <laughs> to think wow. of it. So like, the, it seems like yesterday i'm like i know i couldn't have been doing it that long or that long ago and i you know but yes we're, but so we're close so you know a bunch of us have been kind of or getting to talking and zooming and doing all kinds of things to figure out what we want to do for the 50th and so especially the younger cast i mean we we do we i'm going to be seeing several of them in another week or so for a, you know, a personal private family event, um, you know, for one of the cast members and stuff. So that kind of stuff happens all the time or we hop on the phone or we zoom or, you know, siblings, family siblings. Yeah, for life. Stu- we're stuck with each other. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. And I think that the fans love hearing that as well. Right. They love knowing that this was a tightly knit group of people who became siblings. Yeah. Uh, yeah which doesn't always happen with, with shows and, we didn't know how special it was until we started hearing that that wasn't normal, that other casts, we all went to lunch together every day, the kids. Fritz and I never speak outside of this room. It's a very, very contentious relationship. <laughs> It'll rear its ugly head during this podcast. But Do you have a, do you have a favorite um, uh, emotional moment in the show, a favorite episode, a, a favorite moment that you had in your own performance that is your fondest memory? It's so tough with, as you said, 220 something episodes uh, that that's, you know, I, I, I know that certain things stood out, you know, Richard's last episode, Richard Thomas, uh, knowing that he was, this would be the last episode because we were so close. And it's like, wow, you know, he's not going to be here every episode. You know, he's he's been my brother for all these years and he's not going to be there. So things like that. I, I remember them shooting, shooting that scene and, you know, 
and just being really sad, you know, because it's like you're, we're breaking up the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and some of the location stuff that, that we did, I mean, there were memorable things like when we did the episode where the house burned and, and we shot one Friday night and there was fire coming out of windows and, you know, family members were supposed to be stuck trapped in the house. And those were just incredibly emotional to shoot because they felt so real. We mm-hmm. knew we were shooting, but you know, they just felt so real. Uh, and that, that was, it was always so easy to do the show because they created such a sense of realism in the stories. And for the most part, they were really beautifully written. So you just kind of had to show up and, and do it. What do people most want to know? And you've, I'm sure you've had a chance throughout your adult life to communicate with fans, but now that you have this YouTube channel, it seems like you've got this ongoing conversation what do people most? Yeah, I do yeah. these Ask Judy segments where I just pull, literally I do. I go through the comments and I pull questions that, you know, I think haven't already been covered or that interest me or it's like, oh, that's different, you know, and I'll take that up. And I pull those questions and then I put together a list of the questions and I do a segment and answer the questions. And I do those, you know, every once a week, twice a week, I do those seg- or twice a month. I do those sorts of segments. Uh, so. You know, the, the, one of the typical things I've heard over the years is, do we all really get along? That mm-hmm. is a really common question. Uh, so, uh, and people are, are always really happy to know that we are like a real family and that we do stay in touch and that we're, that we're close. To continue along that thread, who were you closest with? Was it age related who people were closest with and who are you closest with now? Uh yeah, it, it did shift over the over the course of the series because of our ages. So early on, uh, me and John Walmsley, who played Jason, and Eric Scott, who played Ben, we were the sort of the closest in age. We were like 13 and 15 in that area, mm-hmm. whereas the others were like Mary, who played Aaron, was like 10. So the difference between 10 and 13 is more significant than the difference between 15 and 18. Mm-hmm. So as the show went on, then I became closer to Mary and then Leslie Winston, who came in to play Eric's wife, Cindy, the three of us and Cammie would tag along. She was still a little bit younger, but we'd let her, we'd let her join in sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) She heard a lot of stuff beyond her years (laughs) from not just from us, but from the uh, adults (laughs) too. Uh, And the adults felt a lot like there was that, for me, the sense of an age gap. It's like, oh, I, I, it wasn't something where you as easily made friends with because they still felt like adults and I still felt like a teenager. Uh, I was pretty close to Richard throughout because he kind of floated between those two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ellen Corby gave me a lot of advice. Will Gear always had a lot of advice. I didn't always relate to him. He was kind of like this, wow, this kind of you know, throwback hippie kind of a guy that I was like, I don't quite know what to make of him as a teenage (laughs) girl, you know, (laughs) but I get asked about him all the time. Every, every time I went someplace, they were like, oh, Will Gear was here. And it's like, of course he was, (laughs) he traveled so much and he would, you know, he would always go out and meet people. He was very gregarious that way. He still Uh, has that theatricum botanicum Yes, theater out in, in Topanga right. or uh, yeah. Malibu somewhere where they do outdoor theater performances. Absolutely. Still there. And he, that's where he lived for, yeah. you know, all through the Waltons. He lived on that property. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It, there is a there is a house there. And one of his daughters, a couple of his daughters still run. It's, it's still family run 
theater company. Ellen Gear, his daughter, is very involved. She directs a lot of stuff, as does one of his other daughters. And I think he has granddaughters who are part of it. Uh, so it's it's still there. And, you know, his uh, there's a, a Shakespeare garden that he put together there and his ashes are there and there's, a, you know, a bust memoriam to him. And uh, so, yeah. You, you blossomed in many other show business areas when you retired from the Waltons, including being a really interesting writer, interesting in the in the body of work you've done, including a film that's been described as brilliant called The Inclusion Criteria. It's on Prime mm-hmm. Video right now. And this is so interesting, I think it's very timely right now, uh, in this era of data-driven lives that we all live. A woman doesn't know if she's going crazy or she's being manipulated, which is just a fascinating topic. What is inclusion criteria? It's actually a technical phrase used by data people, right? It is. I mean, it's um, it has to do with, yeah, the parameters of a study or something like that. What what pieces are part of something, a study that you're doing, a scientific study or whatever? What do you include in it? What are those criteria that are included in it, in a sense? Um, my husband works and, you know, is more of a scientist. So I was like, honey, I need a, I need a name for this. And he mm-hmm. threw that out me. It's like, what would you call if you were doing a study? He goes, oh, like an inclusion, right? You know, anyway, he, he was responsible for that. And a lot of people were confused about it. So we it it got renamed at one point. So it's also uh, uh, is found under the title "Nowhere to Hide." Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, which won some I, uh, independent film awards. It was it uh, did, yeah, well received. And it, um, but but do you find that I mean now with all the Facebook arguing we're doing right now that I mean that whole idea of being manipulated by data and all that kind of stuff it just seems to resonate right. Yeah, we now. call it gaslighting too. Yeah. <laughs> when you no, when you when you. When someone is made yep. to feel like they're the ones that are going crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, in this particular case, um, the I, the concept came to me because of something I read that was talking about uh, actually in World War II that experiments were being done with mind control medication drugs. Oh, wow. And uh, I didn't know if it was entirely true, but it was a really scary concept. And so I wrote this hypothetical thing about what if this kind of experimentation was being done and someone didn't know it was being done. And so she becomes a victim of this kind of experimentation. That's kind of a spoiler, but you know, you can find out what goes on along the way. And it was interesting because at the original premiere, Michael Learned, who played my mom, Mama Walton, was there with her husband who served in Vietnam. And after they saw the, the movie, and I was talking to some of the reporters after, and I was talking a little bit about where this came from. And he goes, absolutely, that's true. And, wow. you know, he talked about, you know, from his experience in Vietnam, somehow being aware of, you know, or hearing about that kind of experimentation being done. And so I felt like, you know, there is so much, in my opinion, over medication going on for all kinds of things that it, it scares me. And so the thought that something like this could go on I thought, you know, I'd like to 
shine some light on it and see and you know that, that, that's so interesting because what you say is true and now because of the freedom of information act we're finding out about all these lsd experiments that the cia did on soldiers we also know about the tuskegee medical experimentation done on african americans which as it turns out in our current environment is part of the reason why uh blacks are having a difficult time believing information about the covid vaccine so it's been harder to convince them to do it so that whole thing that you brought up in that film is very very current i think yeah yeah thank you i i mean i i thought so and so you know i thought what the heck i i want if i'm going to do something i wanted to do something that you know was important to me um yeah because that's i mean i feel like within this industry we have that opportunity to have a voice and so how you use it uh you know can say a lot about Mm -hmm. you know the direction you're going and the direction that things go. I mean, when you talk about the impact of the Waltons and what the impact that's had on the culture. And sometimes when I look at so much programming that's happening now, and I hear fans of our show saying that they just watch the reruns of the Waltons because they don't relate to, or don't care for a lot of the programming that's happening now. And I mean, I would certainly love to see, you know, a bit of a, you know, Renaissance within the entertainment industry. And, you know, I think we've gone through the shock and awe phase of, you know, let's see how far we can push the boundaries, Mm -hmm. you know, but sometimes to take a look at, do these, do these stories and do these messages really, are they important? Are they valuable, you know, or is it just an opportunity to express your own frustration or anger or whatever. And is that helpful to other people? I think that there is a responsibility connected with being in this business. Well said. When you, when you have a public forum Mm -hmm. and what are you, what are you doing with it? And I know we don't always have the same opinion and people are entitled to like what they like and have opinions, but you know, it's such an open, you talk about the technology and the data that's out there now, you know, everything you say and do you know, can be seen and heard and, you know, people. So, you know, I mean, I don't think I was always trying to tell younger people beware, you know, especially if you want to get into the entertainment industry, be beware of what you put on your social media. Mm-hmm. Because if somebody contacts me and says, oh, I want to do blah, 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 you know, and I'm considering using them in a project, I will look at their social media and see what they're posting. Okay. And I, you know, if I feel like they're spewing a lot of hate stuff on their social media, I'm like, I don't, this isn't a person I want to be connected with. Right. So those things do come back and people are looking. So you you, know, be of what impression you're putting out there yes. and is it the one you really want out there? You brought up a really interesting point a couple of points ago, and that is that people find safe haven in watching the Waltons and reruns now. But if you look at it, that show was framed in the gloom and doom of the Depression and World War II, which kind of mirrors the political gloom and doom that we find ourselves in here and what what's proven in both eras is the family is all that's important so you find safe haven in your family and and having healthy relationships not just not just the family too fritz but the waltons for me is about how we treat each other the mm-hmm. choices we yep. make every day yep. because they, they're faced with all these challenges the different people that they encounter. And it's how they consistently treat people. That's my takeaway about, about the Waltons. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Judy. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it, I think it sets an incredible example and, and one, you know, as, as a role model of characters and family and all that. And, 
right now, I think, yeah, people have gone through 18 months of confusion and resettling and, and, you know, change and, you know, to get back to more fundamental things in terms of, you know, your family, your community and those connections and that, because that's ultimately the people you're going to rely on and that you're going to be there for. And I always loved that the Waltons did, they always supported each other. They were always there to back each other up. And that to me is a, is a beautiful thing. And family can be the family you're born with or the family you create with from the people that you choose to have in your life. But an episode that you were looking at on your YouTube channel was, I think, called The Boy from the CCC. And Mm -hmm. uh, he's this kid that is, (laughs) grandma doesn't trust him. And then, you know, and you tell the story and you show little clips and then you say, that's another person whose life was changed for having encountered the Waltons. Yeah. And the Waltons were impacted by the people they met. They learned new things and their thoughts and minds were uh, opened up to new things, you know, John boy learning about hell's kitchen was like fascinating to him. It's like, wow, you know, that, that you could live in an environment where you didn't just have food available. You couldn't plant a garden. You couldn't go out hunting. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow. You know, that you might feel that your only option if you were starving was to steal, you know, that was a new concept to him, you know? Right. Yeah. There's just, there's, there's a lot there. And I think there are good shows as Fritz, you're talking about, you know, comparing the, the time periods, but we do have so much available to us on streaming media. And maybe a lot of the focus goes to the shows that are more violent and the more exploit exploitive, but there are good shows like some of the ones that we try to point out on our little podcast here that have, that have good themes, good values, good messages. You just have to look a little bit. Yeah. I think there's always things to find and there's always, and people do have different tastes. So I think right now there is that opportunity for people to find what appeals to them. And yeah, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm really enjoying and the way, the way the industry has grown and the what's available and from a technological standpoint within the industry makes it so much easier for this variety of stuff to happen. So yeah, people do just have to dig around and find the gems. Mm -hmm. Now, Judy, I want to talk about a turning point in your career. This is a moment that you realized that you were on a lunchbox. Now, I'm sure that this was... (laughs) This was something that that you thought. And I made. am an action figure too. Are you an action figure? I am an action figure. So here are here's the Waltons, and I guess you're birthing a calf, which Waltons are prone to do. And then here you are changing a tire. So it goes from you know farm to technology, and uh, I guess there, there's little pictures all the way around. Here's Grandpa getting a haircut. I mean, that was a key moment. So do you remember? But you were a kid. So do you remember when this happened? And if you ever saw a friend of yours carrying this particular lunchbox? I I did not ever see a friend carrying the lunchbox. I do not have the lunchbox. I do have the action figure and I do have the game. Um, There was not a lot of Walton merchandise. What happens Uh, in the game? How do you win? I'm not sure. I've never played it because the game (laughs) that I had didn't even have all the Escape the house fire. (laughs) Escape the house fire. Exactly. (laughs) And if you win, you get, you know, you get to pick the corn in the garden. You get to name the calf. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it's quite something. And and when, when a show like Carol Burnett did a spoof on the Waltons and when Mad Magazine did a segment called The Walnuts and when we were on the (laughs) cover of, of, um, you know, the magazine, like with like a Norman Rockwell type Thanksgiving portrait. And 
So those those moments are being part, yeah, thinking in terms of being part of television history is very humbling and it's, you know, it's, it's tremendous. We did a, we did a Q&A session at the Smithsonian um, with the Walton cast. And I think they had, I think the radio might have been in the Smithsonian at some point. I don't know if it still is, but, you know, it's just like, I mean, I go about my daily life and I live a pretty normal life. And then something suddenly will be like, wow, I'm in a lunchbox. You know? <laughs> or that show just made a reference to the Waltons in regards to something. I'm like, wow, it that's must, pretty cool. Yeah, you that, know? <laughs> that must happen constantly because, I, I mean, just the awareness of how often somebody will say goodnight, Jim Bob or Mary Ellen, they, you know, they tend to say the names that have two, John Boyd, Jim Bob and Mary Ellen, you know, yeah. before they're going to remember Aaron or Ben, they're going to say your name probably. So you, you must hear it constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember one time uh, during one of the space missions and, and there was the, there was a headline on um, in the newspaper. This was back when we had physical newspapers more. And it said, you know, astronauts say goodnight Walton style you know I mean this was like you know come on (laughs) you know (laughs) it's like how cool is that when when I mean I don't I don't necessarily think that everybody's seen the show but it it is a part of culture and people are usually familiar with at least some aspect even if it's like oh well you know have you heard pop culture references to goodnight John Boy goodnight Mary Ellen and stuff and typically even if people haven't seen the show they're familiar with that and they, they sure are, yeah. You're, you're a big supporter of human rights. Yeah. Talk about that in your life, how important that is in your life. Well, I mean, we're all we're all people, you know, and I think everybody has has the right to, you know, live their life under these various different human rights that exist. You know, there there is a literally a, a proclamation that lists out people's human rights and you know, it's just when you look around the world at places where people are not being treated that way. I mean, and that's something that we mentioned the Waltons that, you know, they always treated people with respect and dignity and, and gave them the benefit of the doubt and did their best to, even if somebody like the boy from the CCC, even if he wasn't initially someone they totally trusted, they still tried to help him and ultimately they did. And so many people crossed through. And I think that, you know, that the more we treat each other with humanity, it, it, it kind of, you know, change starts with us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easy to kind of go think of a mob or a group, but that's a group of individuals. And if each individual takes it upon themselves to try to be a better person and to try to pe- teach, treat other people better, and to try and understand somebody, mm-hmm. then, you know, we can make a huge difference in the world. So I do, you know, like I, I, I do what I can to support organizations that are, you know, doing good work. And uh, yeah, I mean. I mean, you must get asked often to take part in this cause or that cause, and then you, you know, get to hand pick what it is that you're going to invest your time into. You know, so what are what are some of the causes that matter most to you? Um, well, I've been, I've been working most recently, um, doing some handouts, like, um, my husband and I were actually just out over the weekend and in, in a local community, handing out booklets from the um, drug-free world foundation and, and just, uh, 
that, you know, enlighten people about the truth about drugs and their effects and, and whatnot. And, and so, you know, I think drugs are still a huge problem in our country and around the world. So trying to, I think education makes a huge difference. Um, so that one is, is important to me. I've also been um, doing work to help support the Actors Fund, mm. um, you know, because so many of my fellow actors and people in the entertainment industry and, and behind the scenes and front of the scenes on stage, you know, have been really struggling and out of work for so long when everything shut down. Uh, so uh, I've done some things for, um, there's a, a, a a couple of gentlemen in New York who've been doing, you know, these daily for a year, they did daily um, podcasts, you know, zoom things to raise funds for the actors fund. And so the Waltons did a couple of those. Um, I'm part of uh, a group. There's a, there's a website called cameo.com where you can, yeah, you can sign on and you can, anybody who, any celebrity or personality that's registered, you can for a fee, get them to send you, you know, you, they shoot a video and it gets sent to you mm-hmm. and you tell them what you want to say. So I have been, Richard Thomas had approached me. He said, do you want to do this? I've been asked to do it. And so I looked into it and it was during COVID and I went, well, I'm not all that interested in doing it, but I will do it and I will donate the money. So all the money that I have made from doing those videos, I've donated to various different charities oh. and a lot of it's gone to the actors fund and, you know, and, and, various other human rights organizations. So, Can you talk for a moment about your early childhood and the talent that you exhibited that, that compelled your parents to move you in the direction of becoming a, prof- a professional performer? Um, well, my mom had been an acrobat growing up in England. She grew up in England during, during the war. And she and her brother did this hand-to-hand balancing, this acrobatic act. Wow. Um, my grandfather had been a gymnast uh, he had qualified for the Olympics <gasps> on, on rings. Uh, and so from the time my mother and her brother were little, he taught them this acrobatic act. So she loved the entertainment industry. She grew up during the war watching these movies from Hollywood and was like, I want to go. Not that she wanted to act, but she was just enamored of Hollywood. So she um, she and my father ended up moving to L.A. just before I was born she started singing professionally and they got me and my brother and sister like doing little musical theater classes, whatnot. And we did some little recitals when I was little and I just, I just always loved it. So I was fortunate enough to get some opportunities. I did children's theater and then I started auditioning for roles. And, you know, I think with children, it's much harder to teach children how to as performers Mm -hmm. Then, then it is that they have some natural ability that you can nurture and, and help grow. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it takes a certain personality and character to be willing to get up and do all that and, and put your emotions on the line. And it was just something that was always enjoyable for me. So uh, I wanted to pursue it. And my parents fortunately gave me the opportunity and supported me in, you know, getting me an agent and taking me to auditions and, and all of that so that I could do what I loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you working on right now? Um, I am in finishing up post-production on a short film that during COVID, um, I'm part of a writer's group and we wanted to do something we could shoot during COVID. So I wrote this little piece. It's, you know, it's called Space Limbo. 
a group of travelers each in their own little space pods going to different destinations for one reason or another you know they want to change their life and so it's a series of their each of their personalities and what's going on with them and you know their whatever quirks or personality traits or things they're running away from so it's 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 little slice of life of their diaries as they travel through space um so that's a little short film i shot with um with members of the group and we're editing it now and so i'm going to throw it out to some film festivals when it's done uh also doing some writing uh, i have a couple of scripts that are with um a new um production company and that's looking to you know find homes for them get them get them produced and then i'm you know doing my youtube channel and that, awesome. <laughs> that takes a fair bit of time as you know from from doing your podcast yeah, yeah i'm really imp <laughs> impressed with the the production value on your youtube yeah. channel and and how you go about getting all of those scenes from the waltons and freezing the frames and you know that sound it's that's seems... my editor man you know wow. <laughs> He's, it's actually my son does all my editing, but that's what he does. Aww. That's what he, yeah. So I, um, you know, early on I was doing it myself and I went, uh, this is like too much for me to try and do everything because I'm not good enough at editing. And so at one point when I was talking to him, I said, hey, could I hire you to do this for me? And he went, yeah, yeah, I'll do that for you. So he's been actually, you know, getting to see a lot of at least parts of the show as well, which he, you know, he's never really sat and watched the whole series or anything. <laughs> um, and it's giving me a chance to revisit the show because uh, I haven't watched most of these episodes in, you know, 30, 40 years. And what's, so, and same been, and, yeah. you know, same for me. And so what's interesting is that you when you rewatch something after you've had more life experience and you've had a, your frame of reference shifts because the experiences that you've had have have uh, accumulated and then you look at it again and you're. I don't know, you're kind of in awe in a different way than when you were watching it at 14. You kind of see it with more appreciation, I guess, for all of the values and so all the layers and all of the interwoven characters and storylines and what's tugging at everybody. You kind of like, it brings it into like a sharper focus, I think. Have you found the same? Definitely. You know, because I'm further removed from, which is good and bad, I'm further removed from remembering the filming of it mm. um, sometimes i wish i remembered more of the filming because then i could share more behind the scenes uh but things will you know things i was like oh yeah i remember shooting that but sometimes i look at it i, go, I don't remember shooting this at all but i know from looking at it uh, you know i can see the sets i can see i how the lights were i mean i know how all of that worked uh from doing it uh, but then i can just really get get caught up in the stories and the relationships and watching the scenes that I wasn't even there for and watching the relationship between the characters and how beautifully those were created you know watching Michael Learned and Ralph Waite do scenes together is just like brilliant mm -hmm. you know uh, so you know I love all of that and again yes because of now being an adult and having gone through life because these stories are timeless you know they were set in the 40s but things that happen, it's like, okay, yeah, you change the, change the clothes, change the hair, but it's the same, mm -hmm. same basic things we're dealing with right. still. And so it, it is, I'm just, I'm really, really enjoying and appreciating it so much for how good it really was and how special it was that we got to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, I really noticed like after I had my son, you know, cause I played a parent a number of times before I ever had a child of my own. Oh. And, 
you know, I had my best sort of, oh, okay, I think it would be like this. And I've seen parents, I've been a child. But <laughs> then when I started playing a parent after having actually had a child, it was like, I was like, oh, I didn't have any idea, you know, how deep those, those um, feelings and, and that protectiveness and all of that, how deep all of that goes right. as, a, as an actual parent. So that was, I found a tremendous thing in terms of my acting to have that extra layer mm. of reality. Wow. Yeah. Much easier to be a parent on TV. You get everything right. And the kid goes home with other people. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, is there anything I know you have uh, JudyNorton.com and you have your YouTube channel. And we're going to put all those links in our show notes and we're going to let people know where to find you. But is there anything else people would, should know about where to find you on social media, et cetera? Um, yeah, I, you know, I predominantly, you know, Facebook, Twitter, you know, I'm, I'm on Instagram. I don't get, I don't have a lot of time to get on any of them. So mm -hmm. because the YouTube channel you know, probably if I have to carve out time, I will carve it out for that. Mm -hmm. So if people do have questions, they should, they should put them in the comments of the YouTube channel, because that's where I'm most likely to see it. Um, and, you know, sometimes I have people leave me messages on other social media and then, you know, their feelings are hurt when I don't get back to them. And it's like, I, you know, I'm so sorry. I just literally do not have that many hours. No, you have a life. She has a YouTube channel. It's <laughs> yeah. a full-time channel. Right. I understand <laughs> We're going to tell people how to find our show, and then we're going to Great. read our credits and, and thank you. And we really appreciate your spending this time with us, Judy. Thank oh, you thank so, you much, so Judy. much, Judy. You've been lovely, and thank you for your insightful questions and for your appreciation for the show. That that means a lot. Well, listen, if you enjoyed this episode of Media Path, it would help us to be more discoverable by potential new listeners. If you leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts, and if you're new here and this is your first time with us, check out our back catalog. There's binge-worthy stuff on there. Gary Puckett and the Cowsills and Keith Morrison and Henry Winkler and Mark Summers and the Livingston Brothers from My Three Sons, all kinds of stuff. We thank you so much for spending an hour with us, and we would be overjoyed if you took a moment to share your thoughts with us or recommend us to a friend. We would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediapathPod, and on Facebook, where we are MediapathPodcast. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, MediapathPodcast. We would love to know what media you have been enjoying, so you can contact us at our social media or email us at MediapathPodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our wonderful guest, Judy Norton. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco Demanda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palanker, here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path.